Hello there, everyone. Happy Labor Day, one and all. Welcome to installment number 18 of the Friends of the Show podcast. John Cabral here, Brian Geiler there from his beautiful abode in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Brian, how are you? I'm well, thank you, and, and there's nothing beautiful about my abode, but thank you. Painting the picture with words. There's no, there's no video good. here. We're making the magic. That's all good. Well, we're in quite the situation here, you and I. This was a fun time, let me tell we you. We sat down <laughs> many moons ago this evening to try to do a Hurricane Radio retrospective where we went back over the hurricane year that was from September of 10 to September of 11 because we're coming up on the second anniversary of the end of that show. You had a bunch of cuts from the final episode that we did. I told some stories that hadn't previously been told in any kind of a public way about things that went on at the station. We laughed, we cried, we went about an hour and 40 minutes, and then my computer crashed, taking the entire effing episode with it. So this is now version 2.0. Take two. Of the Hurricane Radio Retrospective. Because we still feel it's very important that this is, gets done. It's very important because when, when you did that final episode, which as you said was two years ago this Labor Day weekend, you were very restrained. And I was. You felt the need to be diplomatic about things and go out with class and not you know, throw hand grenades on your way out the door, which is totally respectable at the time. And here we are two years later, and at this point I'm ready to just say, John, take the gloves off. Yeah, I thanked a lot of people that may or may not have deserved thanking that day. You did. There was one person whom you, well, I think actually you might have thanked him, the guy who started the station, who probably didn't really deserve much of a thanks. Well, there are things for which I actually remain thankful toward him. I mean, I definitely, I mean, my life is much, much richer for having known Mike Karen. I don't think there's any question about that. (laughs) I don't think anyone can deny that. And he did do, you know, some great stuff for me. As we, we talked about in the episode you'll never, ever hear, he actually opened up his home. I spent many nights in his home. Uh, he cooked for me a couple of times. And definitely, I mean, he had the best of intentions. There's no question about that. But uh, the execution of how things went down with the station, it's a lot to be desired. Sure did. So I opened the first take of this episode by reading the dictionary definition of the word catharsis. I think that's worth doing again. I think you should do that again. Because it's a word that I felt like was going to summarize this episode, but I didn't know for certain what it meant. I knew what I thought it meant, and it, it actually does mean what I thought it meant, but I feel like I should read what it does mean in case anyone's wondering. Catharsis is a noun. It means the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. I think that's exactly what we're shooting for today. Absolutely. I think we did a hell of a job of it in the first hour and 40 minutes, and now we're going to try to duplicate it. So simulated therapy for me and entertainment for all of you. We've got a series of clips summing up a bunch of that final episode. We want to intersperse it from 2013 to tell stories that come from the station. So we did this the first time. I'll do it again, as you probably have your answer ready to go. If I just threw those words out at you, Hurricane Radio... What would you say? And for those people that have just come on that didn't listen to the radio show, maybe that are new to the podcast, it's an online radio show that I did out of Fall River, Massachusetts. It was supposed to be a station that was going to do about 12 hours of live shows a day. And the idea was we would get advertising money and we'd become a – the station was actually on 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. You could listen to it at any time from any number of devices. The technology was actually a little bit ahead of its time. Uh, But the idea that we would become a blooming – either, if not profitable, then certainly treading water, radio station just never never really came to fruition. Right. So you had asked what my, 
when you say the words HurricaneRadio.net right. to me, what is my initial reaction? And before, I said, holy shit. That was my initial reaction mm -hmm. because there's so many emotions and so many memories that come to mind over the course of just the year that you were a part of it. And now I'd like to... I'd like to continue with that, but I'll also add something to it. And the other reaction is what might have been, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the technology seemed to be ahead of its time, and there were a number of people there who I felt really had legitimate talent, people like yourself, people like Faust Fiori. Um, you know, I, I really, I honestly thought that the girls who did the ladies' room were really onto something there and um, were really tapping into an audience that was not, um, shall we say, um, placated to, uh, you know, on other more common terrestrial radio stations and things like that. So I really think that there was a lot of potential there, but it, it just wasn't the lack of money and uh, a couple of other things really just kind of held it back. All right, so we're coming up on the first clip, which is actually playing out of the speaker of the computer that's recording this. You can't hear it at home, at least I don't think, but Brian Geiler is very confused. <laughs> so we'll have, just have Brian tee this up. We'll play this first one through. It'll just be a cut tape. It won't listen sound any different to you, but we won't actually be listening to it with you like we did the first trip through. We're just going to play it, and then we'll come back afterwards. So, Brian, tell the people a little bit about what they're about to hear. Yeah, so what we did was we just we just grabbed some uh, some clips from that two-hour show. I'm the only person that I know in existence that has a, uh, a full two-hour uh broadcast of that final show that you did um you know you'll cue it up in the intro to the show like you uh, normally did and uh, this is just a uh, the quick fi first 15 minutes of the final show of the eye of the storm with john cabral on hurricane radio.net welcome to the eye of the storm on hurricane radio.net john cabral here with you 7 to 9 a.m this is really cool i don't care how you get on base just do it wow it's time to take the training wheels off, everyone. Coffee shop at 7 a.m. is the liquor store at 5 p.m. You know what I'm on? That's what you're doing! I have this time machine. Come back to Cincinnati! It would be really difficult for me not to choose going back to Spain and offing Mrs. Gasol before she had a chance to produce all those mama-looking kids. Six red X buttons just got clicked in Australia. The half two is what you use when you are afraid. Beating some jabroni named Hooven too? Bet you like going sliding into the net after empty net goals, don't you? PK. Those boys sit there on their shiny thrones and primp in their hand mirrors. Am I right? Am I right? It's me, snakes. You don't belong here. And I'm like, what the hell? Don't hate. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Thank God for internet radio. Oh, yes. Good morning, Fall River and beyond. Emphasis on the beyond this morning. The Eye of the Storm on HurricaneRadio.net with John Cabral. If you missed the announcement, this will be the final show. This is day 365 that Hurricane Radio has been on air. And we're calling it a day with the Eye of the Storm. And here to go out in grand fashion with me are two of my dearest friends on this planet, Brian Geiler over there, making the trek down from Bridgewater. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, John. Great to be here. This is very exciting. And then a man who came prepared, my cousin Dusty Cabral, who made an in-studio appearance back on Veterans Day. It's not Veterans Day, but we're still very happy to have you. Retired from the United States Marine Corps. Eh, retired. I got out, but good he morning, John. It's good to be here. And he came prepared. Like, when I come, I want to have, like, a bottle of water, maybe some coffee. I roll up at his house at 5, 12 a.m. to pick him up. He's ready, comes out of the door with a doggy bag from Chili's and a can of Coke. And then in the minutes leading up to the show, proceeded to eat 
a cheeseburger that he bought in Wareham last night. I mean, it, it was just so you're an good. inspiration to us all. It was so good. Yeah, if you're gonna wake up at five o'clock, you might as well have you might a, as well have a bacon cheeseburger. Yeah, it's hey. breakfast of champions. Exactly. This is gonna be great, John, today because, it, like you said, it's your last show, but this is like. Getting the band back together here. Everybody coming in studio. It is. We have some things up our sleeve. The phone number is, as always, 508-567-4843. Eh, honestly, if you haven't called by now, why start now? <laughs> we, we've got shit to do today. Right. There's, <laughs> there's enough people, I think, scheduled on the docket that unless you really have something on your mind that you want to talk about, sit back, relax. Let there's, the professionals handle it, I guess. days that I've been begging for phone calls. This isn't it. Y'all, y'all had your chance. <laughs> yeah, uh, there were lots of days in the wintertime yes. where you could have gone with a couple phone calls mm-hmm. in the middle of the show to kind of you know spread it out for you when you were in here alone. Yeah. There was one day I have a list a mile long of things, sort of a Hurricane Radio urine review that I want to talk about. But one of the days I was most fortunate and so blessed because I had so many friends help me out with this along the way you may recall there was about an eight or nine week period of time where this studio was actually my primary residence. I was hanging my hat here maybe three, four nights a week. I do remember more. that. Yeah. And I would sleep in a bed about 30 feet away from where this microphone is. And I would use the alarm clock on my phone to wake up, as most of us do. I do that at home, mm-hmm. everywhere. And usually I'd put it far away far enough away from myself that I would have to get up, get it, the whole thing. I tried to make it oversleeping proof because it's really unforgiving. You can't really show up late to work when you go on the air live at 7 a.m. And I never had a problem with that except for one day that I don't know if I slept through it, if I subconsciously half asleep hit the alarm off or what the story was. But there was one day that I woke up and checked the clock and it was 6.54 on live at 7. That feeling, unlike any other that I've ever had, just, oh, crap. I have two hours. I have nobody lined up. What the hell am I going to do? And I was able to get a couple people fast, but I got completely unexpected calls that day from Jason Mishonsky, friend of the show, friend of ours, friend of the family, and I... Lieutenant Heath Eldridge, who was a very, very sparingly used character on the show. Yeah, I don't Brewster think I ever recall hearing him call in. He called in completely unexpected, out of the blue. I had nothing to talk about. I was, like, blathering into this microphone. I was like, ah, <laughs> for two hours. The phone rings. Hey, who's this? Hey, it's Heath. I went to the Celtics game last night. I figured you'd want to talk about it. I was like, do I ever. <laughs> he pretty much could have said anything at that point, and you would have I mean, wanted to talk about it. The extent to which people bailed me out that day without having to say anything, announce it, that was one of my, will be one of my favorite memories, because to roll out of bed and have to be ready, just getting my voice ready in six minutes was enough, but that was, that was a heck of a day. We've got a list a mile long. I want to know, before you change the subject to. real quick, uh, mm-hmm. when you were sleeping here, did you ever shower on the roof? In the morning? I never showered on the roof in the morning. That was in, I've seen that video was proof that that can happen. People have showered on the roof. There is not a shower on the roof, if that answers your question. Uh, something like that. Occasionally you know, a jug a of water. Yeah, like gallons of water, hoses. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. 
What I used to do, though, and might as well start the thank yous here. I've got a million of them to get to today. What I would do usually is I would roll out of bed at about 4.30, try to, and by 4.30, that's generous. If I was out of bed by 5, I was calling that a win. Wanted to be on the road between 5.30 and 5.45. Usually it was right at 5.45. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I would come here. I would just do this show. You know, I some um, a lot of time. A lot of times, then I, w- I wouldn't shower. If I did, it would be like two minutes, just to try to wake up. Yeah. And what I would do is, after I was done here, drive over to Rhode Island College and shower in the faculty, the coaches' locker room, in the building there before I got started on my job. So that's the first thank you to Scott Gibbons, my boss over at Rhode Island College, for agreeing to such ridiculous circumstances that yeah your assistant has to show up and shower every day when he arrives and he used to throw me that key every day i'd come in looking like absolute hell my hair would be everywhere i would smell scott can i have the key yep and you can tell when you haven't showered and or shaved because you're the kind of guy you have five o'clock shadow right like 11 o'clock i don't in the don't wear that well no <laughs> right so i mean you you know when you're feeling it mm-hmm. like right off the bat well you don't even have to be within you know smelling proximity as soon as you see the, the 5 o'clock shadow, you know what's going on. takes me like three days to grow anything resembling a beard. I promise. You can grow a full, this guy can grow a full beard in like two days. I promise we're jealous of you, Brian. I'm not nearly on the level that he, he is. He saves a lot of money on shaving cream. Hmm. Yeah. I'm jealous. I mean, I you still have to shave. Like, sunblock, I still have to shave every <laughs> other day. Right, the sunblock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that hurts my wallet. But, yeah, I still have to shave every other day. But, I mean, I couldn't grow a full beard. I feel like John would have won the Beardathon had he participated in it. You know, there's a show about that. It's called Whisker Wars. It's on TV, and it's just all these old, crotchety old men that just grow beards. That sounds like something Spike TV would be interested in. And there's a competition. It's called Whisker Wars. I don't know the channel. My buddy watches it, though, and it's just, like, ridiculous. Old dudes growing beards, and it's a real competition. That's pretty incredible. I like. I really want to watch it, and in my later years, be the champion. There you go. This is very weird for me today. This is the first time doing the show in studio where I have not been beholden to the 17-minute segments. Right. We actually had to jailbreak the station playlist today to get the show on the air. Being a holiday, everybody else is taking the day off. So I'll be the only show in here today, and I had to just throw this out of format to get our voices on here live, so... Blank slate. We could stay on all day if we wanted to. That's tempting. That's intense. So I'm always looking at the clock for when the next commercial's coming. Right, but it's not never going to come. It's not coming today. I mean, we can play some. Yeah, well, I think we should. We could just announce that it's brought to you with limited commercial interruption thanks to LaCava Brothers. We could. That's actually a really good idea. 1262 Bedford Avenue, Fall River. Hulu style. Bedford Street. Bedford Street, right. 676 1951. You type in Bedford Ave, it might mess up your it's GPS. time to get some shine on your ride. Somerset or something. <laughs> <laughs> it is time. Um, we do, like you said, we have a lot kind of lined up today. What do you remember from the first day we were on? I remember the first time I ever remember coming into studio, I, and I'm not sure if this was the first time I ever did come into studio, but the first time I ever remember coming in was September 22nd of last year because right. it was your birthday. I believe that was and the I first time. I think that was the first time I ever came. I think so. And it started off where I looked at the schedule and was like, all right, it works better for me because at the time I didn't have a job. 
So it's like, all right, it works better for me if I came in Wednesday. Then, upon further review, I realized that Wednesday was your birthday. So that turned into a, okay, I'm excited about going on the show. That turned into a, all right, we have to, like, make sure that, like, Will calls in. We have to try to, like, make sure that your parents are, are awake and, like, want to call in and that sort of thing. So it that sort of morphed into, instead of just coming on the show, goofing off and having fun, which we did pretty much every week after that, it was more of like a, John Cabral, this is your life. <laughs> that was a big day because that was when I started to kind of get over myself as far as radio hosting went. Like I had been so focused on, because if you look at my resume, it's just all sports. And this is my big opportunity right. to grow and develop and get out <laughs> of sports and refine my talents. Well, and you so, were the Susan Waldman of HurricaneRadio.net, right? I mean, they heard your voice before any other, correct? Right, and I was the very first voice on here. I was very curious, very concerned as to where you were going with that. I'm glad. Was she the first? That was the only FAN? way I was going to okay. say it without you getting upset. Okay. She was the first one on FAN. All right. Yeah, I was the first voice on here, and when we started, we had a live local lineup that was consistent for, I believe it was something like 12 or 14 hours a day. And the idea was that I was going to be your morning coffee show that laid out news items with relevance to New England that people would then get to the rest of the day. Ideally, sure. we were trying to get somebody to listen and then listen the entire day, and then you'd know what was kind of on the table and then people would talk about it as the day went along. That kind of format for us didn't really take, didn't really hold, and I got sick of talking about Democrats and Republicans fighting in trouble in the Middle East every day. That we'll get to more of that right. a little later. Uh, I went, you know what? I went to Drudge Report yesterday. I clicked on it. I was just reading a blog. I just go crazy reading blogs on Sundays. And I clicked on a link to Drudge Report, and I saw that page, and I was like, Wow. I have not looked at this site in since like a year ago. Five when you months, were doing probably. That? Yeah. I used to depend on it. It was my lifeblood. It was one of the sure. first things every day. I would come in here. I'd get some sound from the AP wires, and if there had been a game the night before. But then I would just go to sites like Drudge and Daily Beast and Daily Caller, Huffington Post for a little while before I got sick of that, and I would just open up tabs. If you ever saw the screen, I would have, like, 37 tabs open and four went. Like, J Joe Correa actually, for a while, took – he actually did take, because we have three computers here. We have one that runs the station. We have the second one where we play awesome intros like that one you just made, and we've got plenty more. Epic. We do yeah, have I, some more. I, of I, Epic, I yeah. still really want one of those for my life. I, I think we need to make that happen. So we have that one. And then we have the third one that plays the, the video simulcast, which is available on Justin TV slash Troy City, T-R-O-Y-C-I-T-C-I-T-Y-E-N-T, where the show will hopefully live into eternity. Brian, you have a plan to make that not disappear like all my other shows? Yeah, well, apparently there's some sort of built-in tool on the Justin TV archives where if uh, a show achieves a certain number of hits during its lifetime, it will, like, stay forever. So if you go back in time, the highest rated show on HurricaneRadio.net, The Ladies Room, Absolutely. has with several, good reason. exactly, yeah. good reason, has several, uh, you know, shows that, shows that are safe lived on from, forever. you know, they're six in, months ago, eight months ago, and they're, national dead, they're archive. there forever. So I just plan on, you know, stuffing the Nomar ballot box, as you said last night, and hmm. just making sure that there's a hundred clicks on there. What was the highest... Views that my show ever got up to. I want to say it was somewhere in, 20, in the forties. Forty. I think there was one was show. Nice. I feel like there was mm -hmm. one show that 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 you did. 
uh, that at least uh, that I was a part of that ended up in like the 40s somewhere. I have no idea how that happened. All right, so my two big takeaways from that opening part. One, those intros that you put together were award-winning material. Thank you very There's much. There's sadly no award to be given for it. <laughs> that was, I guess, the problem with the whole Hurricane Radio concept, I guess. Right. But those were amazing. You rolled out a series of those. They ended up being about a dozen total, and every one of them was just amazing. You'll hear a couple more of them before the show is out. Yeah, we've got a few more um, from that show that we that we aired. Like you said, it was a two-hour show. You mentioned the, there that it was completely commercial-free. We actually did air a three-minute block of commercials at the end of the first hour, and that was just, I think, to kind of give ourselves a breather mm-hmm. and to laugh one more time at the ridiculousness of the, uh, of the commercials that the came commercials out of that place. The commercials themselves, yes. Uh, because, you know, I mean, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here saying that, uh, you know, the, the commercials there left a lot to be desired. For some reason, Mike thought that everyone would just want to hear him over and over again when there were multiple other people there who were, who were willing and capable of recording their own commercial voiceovers. So, Well, lest we forget, coming out of the gates day one, my poor mother, the most reliable listener to my show that I had, had to listen to six times a show, Temptations, Gentlemen's Oh, Club. I forgot about Temptations. Do you like being tempted, seduced, seduced and, and enticed? Yes. Wow, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of the early sponsors, and then they faded into Bolivia. Well, it was Tyson really, was it was the only like blue chip sponsor we ever got. They were the only one that ever signed on for like big money every month, and so they really did go out of their way to make sure that they had this like top. We use the phrase loosely, top notch spot. Like they they brought girls in to record it. They scripted well, the it. Thing. They it did was, multiple reads. It they, had they, actual they production hours value. producing it. I mean, they did more work on the Temptations Gentlemen's Club commercial than maybe anything else that got done at that station. It had absolutely And that thing value. ran over and over and over again every totally single hour. And I would just sit there looking up in the air just thinking of my mom having to listen to this strip club ad to listen to my show over and over. Tempted, seduced, oh, man. and enticed. Yeah, those those are good. I totally forgot about that. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, um, yeah. There there were um, the initial road. I think there was was like okay. You know, I mean, you guys are still trying to get your your footing, and uh, but like I said, there were people there who really I thought were doing good work. I thought that you, the fact that you were doing it all by yourself, I thought that you were putting out like really quality stuff. I thought that Faust was doing great work with that 9 to 11 slot where he was writing a lot of jokes and he was able to, his personality was able to shine through with that. And then I thought that the ladies' room was pretty good. And even, you know, Mike Heron, for all of his distractions that he had going on with the trying to get some sponsor money, not being on his show half the time, he br- still brought that devoted audience that was with him at WSAR. I'll tell you, I remember listening to those first few days of his show and just being amazed. There's a, there's a phrase that gets used a lot in radio. You know, you do radio shows and you do them however many hours of however many days. And part of the time, you know, you're welcoming people back from a commercial or you're queuing up a guest or whatever. But the reason you do radio is you you can get yourself mentally into those frames of mind. You can get going on a topic where you get to be on fire is the phrase where they're using radio. And you used to say it to me on days where I have a good show. You'd say, man, for the, you know, when you were talking about whatever it was, you were really on fire. And we started using that phrase talking about other radio shows that we would listen to, whether it was, you know, Toucher and Rich a lot of the times or other shows that are out there. You'll get, you know, the guys will do their thing for a while. But then they'll really hit that that stride and the, the clip you really want to take away and that you want to go back and listen to two years later is that time we were on fire and Mike was on fire all the time. 
especially in those early shows. I mean, I'm driving around listening to because especially on AM radio now, it's so overly polite, so overly careful, so overly, you know, you have to be extremely careful with everything you say. He's on there in the first, you know, maybe the second week that that station's on the air. And he's on there calling the editor of the newspaper his own stepmother a whore in public for anyone to hear. And my jaw is just hitting the floor like nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is trying this. I mean, it just like, what the hell did I get myself into? What are we doing here? What am I a part of? I mean, it was just amazing, amazing stuff that was going on there in those early days. Absolutely, and the thing about Mike was he was he really was fearless going into this. Yes, and he recognized the power of the internet, and and he had the one thing that you and Faust and Megan and other people who worked at the station did not have, which was a loyal following, right? And also, equally as important, a large group of people who didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And reaction is reaction, whether it's positive or negative, and you know that you know you, you'd much rather be hated than than have nobody know who you are. And that was one of the things that Mike had. He had a lot of people who really supported him, and you know his family name was important to them, and, and they liked his radio show. And then there were just as many people, if not more, that rooted against him, that hoped that he failed every step of the way, and, but they were always listening. And that was the biggest thing about it, and they were sure as hell always commenting well, For on Faust and I, it was our man, MJ2323, that used to comment on all the Herald News articles. Now, it sounds like a big Michael and Jordan fan, if he you would, Right, and he would always, his, his main criticism of us was that our, our only sponsors were a strip club and a pizza joint. He would say that all the time. He would say it on Herald News stories that we had somehow weaved our way into. He would say it on the blog that we were running at the time. And I was just thinking, like, dude, what, what do you want from us? Like, you try starting an online radio station from the ground up. You see what you can get a guy that has that commercial much free sponsors. Time, a guy that has that much free time on his hand probably spends a significant amount of it yeah. at strip joints and pizza places. So I remember, <laughs> remember saying to Faust the day of his last show as he was closing it up, because we would, we would always joke about, yeah, you know, that's, that's all we do here is just strippers are in here all the time. You're right. <laughs> and, uh, we would talk about how you know, I remember I always used to say that a given day was my day to feed the strippers. And uh, Faust and I used to talk about that a lot and i just remember saying to him on the day of his last show yeah you know there's a there's a couple of empty cardboard boxes for you out in the hallway mj2323 is here with his keys to the front door to make sure you don't steal any valuable possessions and uh yeah he was fun he was fun well i'm looking forward to talking more about faust as this uh, podcast today uh, progresses and we do have some clips later on that that uh, involve faust's show and and the demise of his show that mm-hmm. you know happened much too prematurely and uh, we'll also definitely be talking about his current endeavor, which is uh, hosting a show on WSAR. And I want to get that plug out right away because it took us a while to get there last time. Monday to Friday, 3 to 6. There you go. Tune in radio, 1480 WSAR. No matter where you live, you can hear it. Yeah, and it's it's a good show. And they just uh, it was called The Faust Lane for a while there, and I believe they just changed the title of it. He now has a co-host, um, but I'm sure it's still a great show. I haven't been able to really listen to it too much with this new guy there. But uh, we... We can't say enough good things about Faust. You know, the, you call this podcast the Friends of the Show podcast, and Faust is probably one of the biggest friends of oh, the show. Oh, absolutely. In any, whatever endeavor it is that you've had, whether it's a, a hurricane radio show or, you know, the podcast or whatever, Faust is always willing to help out. Um, but we do have a bunch of clips that we got to get to, and, and it's uh, what I did was I basically broke the show up into two halves. And. The second half, which is probably going to end up being its own separate podcast because of Especially the, now, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sheer volume of that second half is uh, it's basically 40 minutes of, of three phone calls. 
Um, and uh, and we'll, we'll get to that you know at a later time. But the last 40 minutes of that show really flew by. There was a ton of contents, a ton of laughs. And uh, what I did was I basically broke the, the first hour and 20 minutes up into you know, just little clips here and there that, you know, the first one that you guys heard was, was really kind of a big one, but the rest of these are a little bit more, uh, cut down, which is a good thing. So we'll actually be listening to these clips in real time as they're happening. So it'll be a little more interactive than that first one was. We may jump in with some additional commentary here and there. Right. And that's when it'll be fun for the listener to, to try to figure out what, if we're talking in real lifetime here in 2013 or if we're, if it's from 2011, but we'll try to give you a heads up, I guess, in between then. So without further ado, this was the, uh, the, the after the first 15 minutes here at around the 19 minute mark of the, of that final episode, a very special guest entered into the studio and uh, he was one of the biggest supporters of the HurricaneRadio.net experience for John Cabral. So without further ado, Mr. Mr. Oh, yes. boy. Visitor. Oh, 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 no way. Oh, it just happened. No way. There it is. Just How's it going, Will? Will Bush here, live and in studio. How about <laughs> he this? I'm glad that you're here. It's great to finally be here. Yeah, it's, this is uh, it. You know, you look. You can look out. You can see the street. Yeah. That, they, that was another good memory. You can go to the market across the street and get Lebanese pies. It, enjoying That's the hell out of there. out of the urban fabric of Fall River as I came in this morning. And and now that I'm here in person, let me just let me just finally say, Fall River, you will kill us with this rail. You will kill us. <laughs> you will absolutely cripple us. We will be spending millions of dollars per rider. Adding to the Massachusetts commuter rail system, you will kill us. The system is already dying. They're not going to fix the funding, and they're going to build this thing thanks to your boys, Barney Frank and Deval Patrick, and you will kill it. So thank you. Thank you for that. To be fair, we did have Sean Belot in studio here. Yes. We tried, sort of. Yeah, that happened. I remember that. Yes. I don't think anybody here, when he was here, actually supported him, but he was here. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to register in this congressional district for the next time around. Yes, you will. So, which, I was, which makes more sense. In, it, will, if you're wondering, Will lives in Brookline, not Worcester. It took me an hour and ten minutes in question or in Barney. An hour Frank, right? and ten minutes to get here, yeah. and that's and and I'm also in Barney Frank's district. All right, so we're back live with you here in 2013 time, and that was the completely surprise visit. The only person who knew about it in advance was myself. And you'd said that, you know, before when we, we did this before, you said that you had talked to Will before and you had kind of thrown it out there that you were doing this. But he, yeah, because I wanted the last show to kind of be a celebration of the year that we had done. I knew that it was going to be the last show. It wasn't like one of these situations in terrestrial radio where a guy gets fired and he never gets a chance to say goodbye. I was making the decision to leave. I was making the decision to leave on that date. So I wanted to try to keep it as positive as possible, not focus on the negatives that were behind the decision why I chose to leave and just you know celebrate the good of what we did. So I want to get as many people that had been involved in the good parts of the show involved. And with Will, Will's you know a very busy guy, always has been, has a lot of interest, really dives headfirst into the stuff that he gets into. You know, We live far apart now, and we're doing different stuff. And as we've gotten older, it's been harder and harder for us to hook up on stuff. I actually did have a chance to have dinner with him last night, which was terrific for the first time in some time. But a big component of the friendship that I have with Will now is like either I'm doing it to him or he's doing it to me. We're inviting one another to something that we both know the other one can't actually go to, (laughs) but feel compelled to, in my case with Will, 
because like I don't want him to feel like you know he was left out of something. Mm-hmm. I want him to always understand that he's welcome at whatever we're doing, but a lot of times it just doesn't work out. So in fact, and it just happened last night because we're adding a second weekend onto your bachelor pa- bachelor party extravaganza so that we can get some of your D.C. area friends of the show involved, like Adam Jerzyk, like Brian Feltis, and we'll get to Feltis more as we move along with the show. But want to let Will know that he was welcome to go to that, but obviously with you know a wife eight-plus months pregnant at home with the new job that he has, the new home that he's just moved into, and all the stuff that he's got going on, and the fact that he's carving out the Saturday before to do the bachelor party with us, you know, not likely to happen, but wanted to tell him that it was going on. It was, it was sure. very much that same dynamic as I was inviting him to that episode, knew it was you know going to be a holiday weekend for him a rare day off from the stuff he was doing he was still in law school at the time so he was going like crazy with that and it was about to build up to a fever pitch again on the other side of labor day and so i remember just you know inviting him saying you know you were going to come and that we was inviting a bunch of people anybody that wanted to go to the studio and i kind of got to the part in talking to him where i you know i was going to make it clear that in order for him to participate in this (laughs) as i was inviting him he was going to have to drive to fall river to be there for seven in the morning and i was just like i almost couldn't get the words out of my mouth because i was just embarrassed that that was the circumstance and that that was what I was asking him to do. And uh, I forget what he said. He was pretty noncommittal about it at the time. And of course he ends up blowing me out of the water with this surprise that you had arranged with him. And I was caught totally flat footed by that. And I could not have been more surprised when he walked through. So how'd you pull that off? Well, I didn't pull off anything. He called me the day before the show. I I think it was the day before. And he said, Hey, you know, I heard that, you know, John's going off the air tomorrow. It's going to be his last show. And uh, I heard you're going to be down there. I said, yeah. And Will said, "Well, you know, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of making the trip. I want to surprise him." I said, "Friggin' awesome! Like that is that is great news." Um, you know, I so I was like, "What do you, you know? What do you need from me? Like, what are you thinking?" And he was like, "All I need." He's like, "I'm thinking of showing up like 20 minutes late. You know, I'll show. I'll let you guys." And this was was at the point where I thought that we were doing commercials. I didn't realize that this was going to be a non-commercial show. So I said, "You know, show up at 720." We'll be in the first break. If you show up right at 7, like 7.18, 7.17, it'll be no problem. You can walk in. You'll have that moment. It won't have to be on the air. And you know, of course, Will, I knew when I said show up at 7.17, I knew that he would be there at 7.17 or before. He's not. He doesn't show up late to stuff. So um, he, I said, what do you need from me? He said, all I need you to do is tell me how to get there. Like, tell me where to park and tell me what I need to do. So I'm, you know, I was on the phone with him while that first segment was going on. Hey, walk up the stairs take a left, we're right in there, just follow the sounds of our voices, that sort of thing. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I feel bad. I feel like I owe Will an apology because he showed up at the door, and I could, from my seat I could see him at the door. And I looked, and you saw me look, and I don't know if you even remember this, you I saw don't. me look, and you kind of looked yourself because you were like, well, what the hell is, what, what's Brian looking at? And then, so at that point. <laughs> you know what that was, though? Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Mike asleep in the bed throughout that whole show? Oh my God! I think that's what that was. I think he might have been. So I was worried that you know he was going to come in angry at me at some point. Wow! I, totally I never forgot. actually talked to him. Oh, why? I told him I gave him two weeks' notice. Not, I mean, a level of professionalism that nothing else at that stage. He might have been there then, but he or he might. But I, but I, I think I he wanted was. to at least give him the chance. I knew it would be tough to get somebody to just replace me and come in at seven in the morning five days a week. But I at least wanted him to, to give him the time well, to try no, to get somebody else in there. So I I sent him a message on Facebook that I never heard back from, yeah. and so I I just kept waiting, and I'm like, 
you know, I don't really feel it's incumbent on me to call him, but at the right. same time, like, I kind of need to know that someone's aware of the fact I I'm going to stop doing this. I think this. he was there because I think I remember texting Will, and you're going to come up the stairs, you're going to go through the door on the left, you're going to walk by the sleeping Mike Heron, and right. you're going to come into this to the studio. But like I said, I feel like I owe him an apology because he was standing at the door, and I feel like he was waiting for me. Here we are two years later, and I'm finally getting around to this. And he, I feel like he was waiting for me to be like, stop everything, John. Here it is. Here's a big surprise. Ladies and gentlemen, Will Buss here. And then he was going to be able to walk in the right. door. And instead, I, because I'm like obnoxious and I figured that he'd probably want to just bust open the door and be like, hey, it's me, it's Will. But that's not Will's style. So unfortunately, he kind of had to sit outside for probably upwards of two minutes while we talked about just random crap before he came in. And then he kind of just decided to walk in at that point. So. Sorry, Will, because uh, you know I probably should have teed you up for a better. Yeah. So the there. only conversation I actually had with Mike about it was a day or two before I called him, woke him up the day before at like you know eleven thirty in the morning or sometime <laughs> that anyone else would have been awake, and he told me uh, more or less that I was free to do whatever I wanted and that you know and that was fine, and I was going to make an arrangement to make sure somebody got the keys back because I I was I believe the only host to have their own set of keys because I had to let myself into the building in the morning. And I ended up seeing, encountering no other people, and I ended up just leaving the keys underneath the mixer board and sending Megan Papati a message saying <laughs> the keys are under the board. And that was how it ended. Yeah, it was a uh, – the, that the end there was, was crazy. Um, but that but when Will showed up, that was a great moment for the show, and he was definitely one of the people who was really, really supportive of you for the entire year. Um, and actually, later on in that f- final episode, one of the clips that we have, we do talk a lot about Will's contributions to the show and some of our favorite moments uh, where Will was there. But um, w- at this point, we're going to kind of transition here into what the next thing that we talked about after Will walked in, which was the immortal Faust Fiore and, uh, and, and the, the, the antics that went on uh, with you and him when you guys got together. Shin. So here is 2011 John Cabral. Telling the story about some of the great moments with the Faust in the morning game. There were many. Very many. <laughs> there were two separate days in question here. We had hijinks. Joe would go out and smoke on the roof. And I was going out there just talking to him one day after I got done with the show. It was before I was going on with Faust every day. I didn't know Faust that well at the time. I think it was the first time I actually went on the air on his show, now that I think of it. And we're out on the roof, and we hear this commotion is really the only way I can describe it down from the street, you know, it's, and it's it's terse, it sounds like a fight, but we can't see it from where we are because we're blocked by the back wall here. If only we had windows in the studio that we could look, oh wait, we do. Right, exactly, <laughs> so he's like what the hell is going on down there? So we make our way down to the street and there's, we're fortunate that we have the courthouse across the street from us, and there's cops off-duty making court appearances in suits and ties all the time, so you can't during business hours, get away with anything out on South Main Street because there are just cops off-duty all the time around here. So people had gotten into a fight over at this next street corner, and there was just an off-duty cop that was on his way walking to court and just stopped it and arrested the person that caused the commotion. But there were a whole group of people formed outside of Rob Roy Academy across the street. There was a huge crowd watching it, and Joe and I went down there, and then we came up. I got on sat down with Faust, and I think he had Kevin with him that day, and I reported it. Like, we all hammed it up like right. it was breaking news, and we reported it. It was really funny, because we nailed that. That was the first time. 
The second time was one of the probably the most anticipated day, I would say, in Faust in the Morning history, except for maybe the day that Mayor Flanagan was on. Was that the day that he got his eyebrows waxed? The day that he got his eyebrows waxed. This was Faust's self-esteem and level of self-confidence. He started, he was the first one, I think, to start his own Facebook page for his own show to try to track how many people liked it and where listeners were and stuff. So he was constantly begging people, go to Facebook, like the Faust in the Morning page. And so he set up this thing where it was, it was, it was a ridiculously low threshold. It was either five or ten new likers that he wanted. He said, if, if ten new people like my show this week, I'll get my eyebrows waxed on the air. So this like was a wax, little underwhelming. Wax, wax for good looks or wax yeah, for, off. for good looks? Yeah, no, yeah not, okay, good not, looks not taken good looks. off. Right. Okay. So he got ten new people in a world of seven billion to like his show. <laughs> and Faust was and a 50-plus-year-old man right. whose eyebrows, I'm sure he would admit, could use some work. Yeah, they could. <laughs> they could. So they set it up, and Tracy Gendro was able to get the services of the rather gorgeous Amy Como. She was pretty hot on the webcam, yeah, so I can imagine nice. how hot she was in person. Yeah. Amy, yeah. if you're listening. Especially when you never saw Dustin. girls in here. Ever. Agreed. I like you it. Know, that really <laughs> added to it. So she came in, and she's got all her stuff ready. She's got those, She's heating up the wax, and she's got all her equipment laid out across the table, and we set up Faust in that chair. Mm-hmm. I um, remember him leaning, doing the... He was like... She was behind him yeah. standing up, and he was just like... So, and he, so he had, like, the microphone, and he was like... Had it up and he's like talking like the and she's it was really funny. Yeah. So he, we're all, that would have been more than enough by itself. And then we find out somehow that there's a bomb threat called into the courthouse. <laughs> Same day. Same day. That's awesome. And what is so this that was our right. freshman year, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I was yeah. able to take that camera in that far corner. <laughs> I stood. I stood up on the windowsill there and turned it so that people could see as close to the courthouse as they could get. And you saw police, fire, caution tape, block off, evacuations, the whole deal. I found out later that the entire street to this side of this intersection mm-hmm. was evacuated. Nobody came up and told us. <laughs> so we were willing to lay down our lives for the cause. Yeah, that was an incredible day, and I can't see through your back here, so I don't know if you're queuing up the video again or not. Oh, you know but it. We the did first some investigating. Time on take one of the, I suppose we should call it the dress rehearsal. Okay. <laughs> it was a long-ass dress rehearsal, <laughs> we, let me tell you. We found the actual video of the day of the bomb threat slash eyebrow waxing. David Farry, a friend of the show, joined us in studio that day, as he often did on the Faust in the Morning program. He previous to his run on Hurricane Radio, had run a company called Shiny Key Productions, where he still does some work on the side. And he has a tremendous amount of video editing skill, has a lot of video equipment, so he had come in and filmed the whole affair. Faust had done this whole thing just to get five new callers Yeah, we initially thought it was ten show. in, the, in right, the audio clip, right. but, but yeah. upon further review according to this and YouTube we're told clip. at the end of the video. So what you'll see is, you, well, you won't see anything because you're listening to a podcast. What I will see is just the hectic situation going on down on South Main Street where there were police in the street, traffic was shut off, and that is a fairly busy road, especially during business hours in Fall River. Given the proximity to the courthouse, there's a lot going on there, a lot of businesses in the area as well, just a lot of daytime traffic normally there was all shut down, caution tape, officers in the streets, (laughs) buildings evacuated, whole deal, all while we're trying to shave, excuse me, wax Mr. Faust Fiore's eyebrows.
All right, so the video starts off. There's, a, there's just a caption at the bottom that says 102110 outside hurricane.net studios. Bomb threat, all caps. Mayhem here. Mayhem here at the hurricaneradio.net studios. Breaking news the bomb scare right across the street at the Justice Center. If you want to come visit us at 227 South Main Street, uh, too bad. Yeah, you got to scale the walls. It's not going to happen. Putting oh. his money where his mouth is oh. is Faust Fiore right now. It's going to happen. We've got a bomb scare going out on the street. We got a bomb scare here. We might not be alive tomorrow. <laughs> this could be it. All right, now this is the part where we get into Faust Fiore. This is a before shot of him about to get his eyebrows waxed. Can you de-full screen it here so I can just remind people what the name of the actual video is? It's called Waxing Philosophical. Faust in the Morning, Waxing Philosophical. The channel is Shiny Key Productions. So you would be well advised if you're at a computer right now to just go on YouTube that and watch along with us. Yeah, but be very careful because the uh, recommended videos on the side include I'm Pregnant Prank Calls, vi- Vaginal Wax for Date, and What the F Hair Removal. Yeah. So just steer clear. Make sure you stick with just the Faust in the Morning Waxing Philosophical. <laughs> Now, this part of the video is, is all slow motion uh, shots of Faust getting his eyebrows waxed by this professional. He's reclining in the big chair, holding the microphone in his hand as opposed to the normal position of having it on a stand. And he's got his eyes shut, describing what's going on. And every once in a while, he's just having hairs that had been on his head for 50 years ripped out. This all the time, just in your bathroom. Oh, oh! We only ever really had the natural lighting because the sun was so hot and so bright in that window. Oh, yeah, okay, right, right. But it really did lend itself well to the dramatics of this video, I must say. Absolutely, because that, that seat was, was perfectly placed right in the light. So the perfect place to do the waxing. But man, would it get hot in there. Absolutely. It was definitely at both extremes, too. It was real cold in the winter, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, I guess. Like we said, these the slow motion video of Faust getting these eyebrows ripped off of his head. Oh, wait, are really it's right over my eye. Yeah. It's right over my eye. Your eyeball, right out of your head. It's the voice of Kevin Donnelly, friend of the show, who is a regular on the Faust. Oh, 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 I better get the flag. My God. This is one of the rare moments when Faust and David were both there at the same time. You mean it shows Kevin you the David. gravity of the moment, Kevin, Kevin and David? David yes, right. excuse me. Yeah, Faust would usually come in and he'd have one co-host in tow. And usually it was Kevin Donnelly, and if it wasn't Kevin Donnelly, it was David Ferrier. And uh, yeah, you're right. I don't think I ever recall after this them being there at the same time. All right, so you get the gist here. Is this? Uh, Faust is, is getting his eyebrows waxed, but this was a this is definitely a video you should check out. Once again, the user is Shiny Key Productions. Just search for them, you'll find the Faust in the Morning Waxing Philosophical. Because this was one of the classic. This was early on too in the Hurricane Radio experience. This was really, as you, you know, you said in that clip, that was really the first time you jumped on air with him. And uh, five new callers was what he what he did that for. So God bless Faust. He's a good dude. The next clip, John, that we're going to play here is uh, is when we started to kind of get into start playing some of those you know bumps that you'd mentioned earlier, some of the audio clips that I had edited together for the show. 
um, you know, which had totally kind of started just based on my unemployment. Um, I think that my unemployment is like a, a very, um, like hidden sub <laughs> sub subject of this, uh, of the hurricane radio.net experience. It was a you. tremendous asset to the program. Right. <laughs> it definitely, I will say that it, de- it didn't help a lot of things, but, it, but me being unemployed for a while, uh, definitely helped the show because it, it afforded me the time to come down there, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. And also to, to just kind of sit around and when I wasn't searching online for jobs, uh, to, to cut together these clips based on, you know, the audio from the Justin TV archive. So here was uh, one of those bumps, and then you kind of get into talking about what it was like day one at HurricaneRadio.net. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Welcome on into the Eye of the Storm on HurricaneRadio.net. It's going to suck today, but at least I'm not getting smallpox. Barbara Boxer, yeah. Pelosi, yeah. Hillary Rodham Clinton, yeah. Christina Knopf. Yeah. Not to mention your biological clock. Glad we mapped that out for everybody at home. <laughs> A highly scientific no. diagram. And I know what I'm talking about because I went to junior college for a semester and I studied psychology. I'm an F-18, bro. And I will destroy you in the air and I will deploy my ordinance to the ground. Tell me what it costs because I'm ultimately going to have to pay what it costs. Ah, you better pay it in rubles. How could you get $12 million to reject you and rob them? Well, I just flush my money down the toilet. Sell them. Send me your children. Keep the change, you filthy animal. $11 per hour. That will gladly feed my family. That's tomorrow and that is it for us today. Alright, now stop it here. That was the most frequently played one in Hurricane Radio. (laughs) And as I point out, I did play that one nine million times. What's it like when you're there, you're in front of the computer, you just have this endless memory of all these different funny lines that have come out of songs, out of movies, out of news articles, and you just put them all together. You had one. You have one later on, or no? That was the one. That, there was a consistent money theme. To that, that was the only one, one that had a theme, really. But what? What's it like? Take me inside the genius. The I don't. The Brian <laughs> I don't. It was just like I said. It was really just. It, it would stem out of boredom. And God bless, um, you know, my my fiance, then girlfriend, because she would have to sit in the room and I would have the headphones on. And then every couple of minutes, I'd pull out the jack and say, "Hey, listen to this," and she'd just be kind of staring at me because it was a lot of. You know, random movie quotes and then quotes that we... But the thing is, when you're putting together a montage like that, you have to listen to small parts of it over and over and over right, again to a make sure times. you're hitting the transition correctly. Yeah, a times. And when you're not the person making it, that's got to get rather annoying. Well, for her, it was right. it was definitely annoying. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, t- too bad. No, she knew, she knew that it was, uh, it was a labor of love and it was something that, that I enjoyed doing. But basically, what I would do is I would start with the clips of us. I would go through and I would, what I would do is anytime I was on with you... I would watch the Justin TV archive, the two-hour show, and I would take clips from that show because there wasn't enough just clips of you saying stuff. Like I would have to throw, you know, some, some stuff from the from uh, from me saying it too. So I would start with those clips, and then from there I'd go, okay, well, what what can I like tie this clip into? And I don't know, you know, I can't even really remember any of the 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 Barbara Boxer. That was hilarious. That was that you was and I great. Just like, but that was exactly we talked in the dress rehearsal. We talked about this about how 
other shows have kind of like manufactured conflict or when people would blow up at one another. And we said that for the most part, we agreed with one another when we were on the show. And you said that, you know, if we wanted to talk to disagree, we'd have to talk about things relating to politics and things like that. But the thing about you and I and our understanding of doing things that are entertaining is we were able to talk about politics in a way where we didn't necessarily always agree, but we were agreeable. Right. We did things like that. We were all over Jimmy McMillan in the New York City. Oh, my God. The Manchester No, that party. was the New York gubernatorial debate. That yeah. wasn't just the mayor's race. Man, that was a big – that was big doings. Yeah. The rent, the rent is too hit him high. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it started with our quotes and then it would kind of – I would start thinking of – I'd go, okay, well, this movie is funny. And like you and I have known each other. We've been best friends for like 10 years. I know what you think is funny. Right. And that – those entire things – and you'll listen to this as, as the clip goes on. We kind of talk a little bit about that and I mentioned that – you know, I was only ever making those to make you laugh, and if it, and if as a bonus, Will would laugh, right. and then everyone else, <laughs> and then everyone else who listened right. to it, I didn't really care because I just assumed that they didn't know. You know, I mean, Dusty loved it, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Like Dusty appreciated those, and I and I think that's great. But it it was only ever to make John laugh, and as a bonus, maybe Will would laugh at a couple of these too. Um, you know, so there was always stuff like uh, you know anything with Joe Pesci involved, guaranteed laugh. Like John mm-hmm. will laugh at that. So. Um, I mean, we'll just go ahead and, and, and play the rest of this, but it was uh, that was definitely a labor of love, and, and I definitely definitely spent a lot of time making them, but it was it was a lot of fun. Because no. I was too my email inbox and find the other ones. Yeah, you played that a lot, but a lot I will also say that, that was probably the mo- of the of all the ones that I made. That was probably the, the most thematic of them all because it got to the end and it was just all about like money, and I found, I ended up with like a bunch of quotes from either us Told or other people. It was very I, linear. No, what happened was, well, we had whatever it was we were going to talk about, and then you just, in passing, completely not intending to talk about it, mentioned job hunting on Craigslist. Oh, right. You know what? We need to talk about Craigslist, because I'm tired of Craigslist. (laughs) And then what we did was we went on on Craigslist and started looking at the jobs that were available, and that was one of them. It was like this whole big thing, and then it was just like, it it was asking you to do all this crap, and then it was like Mm -hmm. $11 per hour. That my girlfriend to this day still says that's like the funniest thing that you, she you, that you've ever said on this show. Well, we were going over every time I play that where you're like that will gladly be my thing. <laughs> like she like she just laughs out loud. And goes that was really funny. Yeah, I was telling Dusty on the ride up as we were hitting Route 25, just getting over the bridge and everything. When you really start headed this way, pulling through, and I was I, I said to you, I was like we were I was right here. Oh yeah, <laughs> three hundred sixty-three days ago. Oh, I remember my that. My engine blew. Yeah, on my way to my second show. And that was a Joe Cabral bailed you out, right? That because was that Joe recently Cabral retired me out Joe Cabral. Big time. That was the first time that I had attempted to sleep at home in Hyannis because I had stayed at Mike's house the night before to drive up here and do the show, and I slept until like five forty-five, which is not good. Uh, <laughs> That's when you want to be here at seven, right? So I did. I left at like probably 5.49, which again, not good. But I just started driving like a madman to try to get up here. And it wasn't just because of that, because the the engine was talking to me, just leaving. But I mean, I was brand new here. The station was brand new. It was a huge response, but there was no way I was going to call out because of car trouble on the second day. Like that just was not going to happen. So I'm just hoping upon hope that I can make it here, do the show, and then figure out what's going on with the car later. The car dies on me in richard daly plaza in richard daly plaza <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh, i began pushing couches in front of the door uh no but the state trooper goes by me what's going on good morning i'm screwed 
called AAA, thank you, bye, can you tell me the mile marker, thank you. And then I called my dad, it's like, hey, car's dead, what do you mean the car's dead? I mean the car's dead. And so, no questions asked, dropped everything he was doing, drove up, picked me up, drove me here. That was, uh, the, the, this was during the very brief Alan Howard in the midday tenure. I do remember this Alan Howard. This was the first of his couple of completely unexcused absences. Right. So Co- I actually, by, by couple, you mean like 17 or 18? Was, was, I don't think he made it to day 18. Do you want to talk about Alan Howard here? We should 20, a little bit because we also haven't talked about Joe Correa yet, even though I mentioned him in passing in the prior story. Joe Correa, friend of the show, was the technical genius that got the station into existence. It was I learned after the fact it was mostly his equipment that was being used. Very little of it was actually owned by the station. Most of it belonged to him personally. And he was the genius who was able to do everything, including install all the equipment, get it playing so that it would go 24 hours a day, get the servers going so that it could accommodate listeners, get it so that the commercials would play automatically because he basically idiot-proofed the station in such a way that we could bring anybody in and put them on the air and it would be okay. And that started out as kind of like a, an initial temporary fix because there were going to be a lot of people that spanned you know, either high degree of tech knowledge or low degree, but they were all going to be on air. And you wanted something where they wouldn't have to touch anything in order for it to broadcast. It ended up having to stay that way because we had a whole revolving door of people that were in and out of that station all the time doing shows. And uh, no one needed Joe's help more than Alan Howard, who's a gentleman from New Bedford that I met. He seemed very affable, who did... uh I actually liked the show that he did. Um, it was mostly political, and it was very... I think it was a lot of yeah. politics that you probably necessarily didn't agree yeah, with. Yeah, no, but he didn't was, agree with it all. But he was very thoughtful. Yeah, and he had he had a lot of radio... He had had a lot of, like, old-world radio experience. He had been on a lot, I think, in the 80s and the 90s in Fall River, and and Mike was giving him a shot, bringing him back. And one thing that he just could not do was he could not, for the life of him, figure out how to take a phone call on the air. Because (laughs) as we alluded to before, there were no call screeners. There were no producers. There there was nobody, you know, on the other side of the glass, as you'll often hear radio people say. There was actually glass, but there was nobody ever on the other side of it. Uh, So in order to take a call, I would have, because I very seldom got calls that I wasn't expecting to get and hadn't arranged to get, I would take them during the commercial breaks and I would do all that. It's amazing how much of a hindrance to doing good radio, the whole like greeting a person, all the hi, how are you, BS, how, I mean, that really is a problem and you have to kind of take care of that when you don't have a producer to do that for you. That hurt. You have to do that quickly. That hurt the station for you know, sure, like not having if, the call screen. Yeah. If you ever watch, uh, for example, the Dan Patrick show, which airs, I believe, on Comcast New England and on NBC Sports Network, he has uh, Fritzy. Todd Fritz is the guy that books all of his guests, and you will see him, you know, because they show what's going on behind the scenes of that show all the time. You'll see him off mic on the phone, and he's talking to guests talking to their, you know, in their, or in some cases their agents or their publicists, nailing down the time they're going to call, make sure they're on a landline that doesn't cut out. He calls them, he welcomes them, and you'll see him on camera talking on the phone to somebody, but you never hear it on the show. On my show, there was no Todd Ideally, Fritz. that's how radio right. should work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they would call and talk to me, and I would try to arrange it so we could do that during a commercial break and put them right on the air. But a lot of times, if they called during your 17-minute segments, you just had to get them on the air. It was a strange phone system 
that was installed by Comcast because we were Comcast everything. We did not have Verizon phones. We had Comcast Internet, Comcast phones. And for some reason, in order to lay phone calls over in such a way that we could get them out on the air so you could hear them, we had to configure it in such a way that there was this switch box where you had to press a button to accept a call and bring it in. And then I I believe there might have been another button you had to push after that to get it out. Um, or the, but it made a lot of unnecessary noise. It made a lot of unwanted noise. And one thing that would happen was what I later to Faust dubbed the Alan Howard Memorial ringtone or dial tone, (laughs) excuse me, the Alan Howard Memorial dial tone, because so frequently he would not know how to take the call. You'd, you could hear the phone ringing. If you were listening to the show, it would beep, beep, beep every three or four seconds, you would be listening to Alan Howard's show and the phone would beep, phone would beep, phone would beep, phone would beep. He would finally find the button and in the time that took, the person would have hung up the call and he would just put the dial tone out on the air. And this this is something that does happen. It's amazing how much I learned about radio from doing fake radio. If you listen to enough radio shows on enough radio stations, you will hear that happen on shows. That is something that does happen on terrestrial radio as well, but it wasn't until I went through this that I understood, you know, kind of the particulars of why that happens. But for for my money, there's nothing on radio that sounds worse than a dial there tone, were, and it was and it was a piercing sound. Right, it was a sound that you'd be listening to the show, everything would be fine, and then you would just hear, and it was it just I mean it would you jump out of your seat. It was not it was terrible. It sounded terrible, and it was really one of the things that in the year that you were there always seemed to make an appearance on on at least someone's show during that day was the dial tone. I don't know Alan personally, can't say that he's a bad guy, but he did not show up on anything resembling a regular basis. And this should give you perspective because you've met Joe, you know Joe. Right. Alan got fired by Joe. To get fired by right. Joe Korea takes some real doing. Yeah, can't can't do that to the guy. Joe was a was a tremendous help to you, I know. And 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 the more I hear about him and his involvement with the station, the more you realize that that place was basically running because of Joe Korea. Right. So we'll just we'll finish the last minute or so of this clip here, and then uh, and then we can, we can get back into the next one. But uh, we got a little bit more here on this one. So this is back flashback, 2011 Labor Day. <laughs> uh, so I ended up doing a show with Megan that day. Anyway, I remember that. Alan's I time slot. And that was interesting. That was fun. And then I drove uh, Matt Pincus, a friend of mine from college, was working, had been working at Hertz in Fall River. So I called him because I was in Fall River. Th- you know, can you get me set up with a rental car? And he told me he was working out of the Providence one now. And he just begrudgingly admitted that Enterprise was probably my better deal if I needed a car <laughs> in a pinch. So I thank him for that. I, I drove this little teacup Chevy Aveo around I for like... That. 11, 12 days, watch the money evaporate from my bank account every day. And I uh, did that until my Uncle Russ, who I also have to thank, got a junkyard engine from another <laughs> Buick LaSalle and put it in my car. And now I drive that one around. So it's kind of like, it's, it's like Tommy John surgery for cars, I guess. Just yeah, a completely so. new engine. <laughs> but that, I mean, a car see, has see, got 117,000 sort of miles on it, but the engine probably like 80. Yeah, there you go. Hey. So we're back live now. 2013 and uh you that you you said this before when we recorded this in the dress rehearsal you Mm -hmm. said that that can't it can't be overstated the 
negative effect that that car breaking down and having to get a new engine had on your life and your plans for that show? Yeah, I mean, it, it changed my life. I mean, that really is not an understatement and really kind of continues to to this day because that whole summer leading up to it, in kind of my game plan for the couple of years prior, if you'd looked at what I'd done, is uh, I would rent a place during what we'll roughly call the academic year while I was working for a couple of years at UMass Dartmouth. And I would move back home for the summer to do Cape League stuff, stay with my parents, save money that I would then put toward a new place to rent the following year. And I was kind of in that cycle again, you know, working, saving money and trying to get it ready to go and find a new place. It's very hard to do when you're only making nine-ish bucks an hour, which is what I was making for those summers working at Cape Cod Package Store you have to be very, very resolute in how you pretty much don't spend your money. It's an hourly job, but it really, when you're making that little, it's like a 24-hour job because you have the hours where you make money, but then you also have like a, a second job of not spending money when you're not working. Good point. In order to save money. And I know you've been in situations like that before where you're working for just a little bit an hour. I think you worked in a liquor store for a little while there. Well, I mean, I, um, let's not forget that when I started working at Nesson as a production assistant, I was making $10 an hour. Right. So, yeah, so I might as well have been working. You might store. have a big week where you work a lot of hours, but if you go out to the bar three nights that week, you've totally wasted a whole week's worth Correct. of your work. So I had done I had done very little socially that summer so that I could save up and go move to this place. And it really has kind of dictated how I've lived my life since then is in one day. And that was day two. And of it the was experiment. day two of the experiment. It Oof. all goes out the window. I I said in the dress rehearsal that I had actually looked at I had gone to and looked at one place in Providence. I had looked at, I believe, a couple more in Fall River. And I was definitely, I didn't quite have a place I wanted yet, and I wasn't quite where I wanted to be financially to pull the trigger. But I was definitely planning on moving to that area between Fall River and Providence, one or the other, or maybe somewhere in between, so that I would have uh, short commutes to both the station and where I was working as the Assistant Sports Information Director at Rhode Island College at the time. If your job takes that long to say, it's probably not a good job, by the way. Just overall observation on life. It took me, what, two and a half seconds to say what my job was? That's that's too long. That's a long time. Um, So, but that was not going to run during the summer, the Rick job. And so the idea was that I would work in the summers as an hourly producer at Hurricane Radio. And for 10 bucks an hour, I would produce every show under the sun. And that would just be the greatest summer job in the world. And then I'd go back to Rick in the fall and I'd live in that area and just kind of be of that area. And I was kind of planning on having my life go that way. And it became very clear day two that that was totally out. It ended up running me in the neighborhood of 3000 bucks to get that car back on the road between the the repairs on it, the labor of putting the new engine into it. And then that rental, which just, I had to keep extending day by day by day. And as I alluded to there, just had to watch the money come out of my bank account every day that I had to extend that rental was an absolute killer. But I'll tell you, it was a negative initially, but I think in the long run, it's been a positive because it's kind of taught me that you you don't know what's ahead. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you can't really... I mean, you should plan, and you should try to plan long-term, but anyone's life can change tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And there's, and there's no way to be minor. ready for it, and there's no way to, to control it. 
Yeah, and that was very minor in the grand scheme of things. Right. And, and you, you know, talked about that, that, uh, you know, real people have real problems, but that was, uh, it changed, like, immediately. I mean, I can't, I can't even believe the bad luck he had the second day, and now that yep. plan of living up there in that area and not having to kill all that money on gas is, uh, is, is out the window. But that actually kind of segues us nicely into this next clip that we have here from the last show that you did, and it was, uh, it starts off talking about the commitments that you made, the sacrifices that you made, and that sort of thing. So now's probably a good time to play that because uh, there were certainly a lot of commitments and, and things like that. And then from there, it goes into uh, back to our friend Will Bussier and his contributions, uh, which there were many, to the Eye of the Storm with John Cabral. That's the sort of thing that I think shows, especially like, you know, when you were first starting out doing this, how really dedicated you were. I mean, I don't, I was waking up, started coming in like middle, probably middle of September, and it became like a weekly thing. I was waking up once a week at like 4.30 coming in here. I have no idea how you were doing it. And then following it up with a full day of work. And and even well, then after that, some nights. I mean, you know, how many, days, the, how many nights at Rick were you working well, games? There's the, that's where the thanks to you comes in is because I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this whole year in retrospect, and basketball season from, say... <laughs> all right, all right, we're going to stop. Right. We're going to stop because that just makes Oh, boy. Oh, Hurricane Radio. <laughs> How I in many ways don't miss you. Some places have a soundproof studio, Hurricane Radio. No, we had not. a soundful studio, <laughs> I suppose would be the opposite, where, as we've discussed, that studio was never, ever climate-controlled. It was neither heated nor air-conditioned. So in the dead of winter, it was almost cold enough to see one's breath in there and when it was it didn't even have to be summer i mean the worst of summer is over when we're in there the day after labor day it's kind of in the waning days of summer but it stayed like this even into late october in the prior year when i was doing it the the sun would come up over those buildings across the street and it depending on what time of year it was that would happen at a different time of day during my show but once that happened that sun was beating directly down on you we were trying to do a video stream. There wasn't enough lighting in there to really make the video visible if you didn't have the curtains open. And you needed the curtains open, especially in the wintertime, just for the, the solar heat that would come in because it was that cold. But when it wasn't cold, that sun would just bear down on you. I was always amazed when I would go back and listen to replays of my show on the, on the few occasions that I did that because I always remember how I felt. You know, I always, we, when we get into this, I usually got in there having rolled out of bed, having not showered, having, you know, had a cup of coffee to wake up. And you know, one thing you don't realize, you're listening to the second, uh, any given day, I'm doing the second hour of this show, like, just trying not to think about how badly I have to pee. <laughs> like every day because I'm the only one there and I have to make it through two hours. I need the coffee to be awake, but at the same time, I don't have enough time to go to the bathroom during a break. So, and all those factors are in. I know how terrible I feel with the sun beating down on me and being cold and sweating and having to pee and the whole thing. But it's amazing. That's one of the amazing things about radio is the listener never knows mm -hmm. any of that. And you go back and you listen after the fact, and all of those elements are removed, and you just hear the voice. And the voice quality was always really, really good. But the listener might have heard just now, and what, which is the reason that we started talking about this, is when in the, in the summertime right. like so that it area, would get hot. We'd, we'd have the windows, windows open, and you'd hear trucks and buses and cars and mopeds and things. A lot of times ambulances and police cars, which too. Which was worse, right. right. Yeah, okay. 
So that was the reason why we stopped and left, because there was always something going on to distract everyone in the studio. In that instance, it sounded like a bus of some sort. (laughs) (laughs) From, say, early December to early March was probably the most difficult time of my life. And I don't mean that personal struggle. I mean, people are going through hard stuff. Right. Tragedies. Dusty was in Iraq. Like, I'm not comparing it to that at all. Uh, But the actual just living my day-to-day life was extraordinarily difficult, because that alarm would go off at 4.30, and I knew that chances are I wasn't getting to bed until midnight, and we did it all again the next day. So Brian was initially doing every Wednesday, but then you said, because I was working another job Monday nights right, on Cape Cod. Right, the Cape Cod package thing was Monday nights, so you were working late. And I, I would do uh, sometimes, ba- and so I would have you come in on Tuesdays when it was that before basketball season. And then when basketball season, it was not terribly uncommon for me to have a doubleheader in Providence Tuesday night, have to write a game story or two after that, and then leave, get home at like midnight, collapse onto the bed, <laughs> wake up four and a half hours later. There's no way you can prepare and do a show on your own under those circumstances. So you, Brian Geiler, bailed my ass out probably, what, 12, 13, 14 times during that winter. And that's where the big thanks to you comes in. I mean, you, it, uh, the entertainment value is just a bonus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That you're funny, that you're talented was like great. showing just up was being like here was plus huge, 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 huge. And similar to Josh on Friday, because a lot of times I had stuff going on on Thursday nights and didn't have a prayer right. of getting a show off on my own on Friday. If you guys grew on trees and I had five of you, then <laughs> you probably wouldn't be ending this today. But yeah, it's hey. just it's a huge, huge undertaking. Well, like you said, I mean, it's... It's it's fun. It's mm-hmm. fun to come in here and, and, and mess around on the radio for a while. And the best part about the Internet is it's, it's like literally no holds barred. I mean, you can do whatever you want. I mean, listen, my, my car radio got stolen in December, so this became more convenient than listening to the actual radio. So this this was the way to do it. This The wave of the future became the wave of the present for me. And I was thrilled that you were in here doing this so that I had something going uh, in mornings, you know, when I had to be in the car or... Uh, more often was making you know, my my commute on foot into into school. This was the way to do it. This is absolutely the way to do it. I remember there was a day that you called me because we had a terrible winter this year. It was very cold, and there was one day you called me telling me that you were crossing over the Mass Pike in Boston and that you were keeping one of your hands out of your pocket to talk to me. I was like, you are insane. <laughs> you are certifiably insane. Why are you doing that? So thank you for that. Well, I was able to switch hands, right. you know, every now and then. Um, so so it, it worked out to, to the extent that I still have all ten fingers. So I'm happy about that. That's a big deal. You need those. I know. I know. That's what I've been told, at least. <laughs> usually, usually I find myself only using seven or eight, but all ten, they're good to have. I'm trying to think of my favorite moments with you on this show. The day that you did your analysis of the women's NCAA bracket. That is mine. If you ask me probably my favorite, favorite. we'll see your moment on this show. That would be and, and you know what the worst part about that was? My women's bracket was busted by like day <laughs> two. Yeah, but trust me, when it comes to women's basketball, they're all busted right uh, guys. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, the NCAA supports women athletes. That's, That's right. the sort of crap that we always used to do. We always used to, or by we, I mean usually me, our, our, just say something stupid and ridiculous. T- and Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972 require us to mention how much we enjoy women's basketball on an equal well, footing I'll with t- other sports. I'll tell you what, our, our good passing and sound fundamentals far more than make up for our <laughs> lack of dunking. <laughs> it's one of the very few times that Dusty speaks in the entire episode. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, and that's my fault because... Uh, I talk a lot, 
and uh, talk too much, and that was one of those it's like instances. Talk show, where, so it's kind of conducive to those things. Well, right, but not when there's like you know, not when Dusty's like, "Hey, man, I woke up at like five o'clock for this right. crap. Why aren't you letting me speak?" So, uh, yeah, you know, while I'm on the apology tour, like, sorry, Will, for not introducing you and giving you like the grand entrance there at the when you came on the show, Dusty. Sorry for not shutting up a little more and letting you talk. Um, but yeah, but getting back to the Will thing that. The the NCAA bracket thing was really good that he did, and uh, Will was I think Will also brought like a level of credibility to the show that like I definitely couldn't could never have brought because of his previous on air experience and he's got a, I think he's got a great radio voice to be honest with you he does and uh, and <laughs> so I think he brought like the, this nice you know professional credibility but the thing about Will is that he's really funny too you know it's a good balance he. Will is funny, like regular funny, but he also like triggers laughing out of me that like he will say stuff to me that only I can find (laughs) as funny as it really is. Yeah. But I'll reach like layers of laughing at something he says where I'll like start by laughing and then I'll stop and then I'll start shaking my head and then I'll start laughing again. Yeah. And then I'll look at him and I'll just say, like, that is too damn funny. And yep. he'll just start cracking up at the fact that I'm still laughing. And he's, he's been very good at that and for that for well over a decade now. Yeah, that's Will. And uh, we talked a little bit in that clip from a few years ago about Will's use of the technology. Yeah. And Will was way ahead of the curve on every aspect of the technology. That right, if it was just all Will's people. running around out there, we would well, have been yeah, would in you the land ever? of milk and honey, no problem. He um, he was listening in his car. He was listening on foot. Uh, he was he, he and you know as a result of the fact that his radio broke. Great, that was the best thing that ever happened to, mm-hmm. to you at the station because you had people who were listening that way. But that was a real commitment, and he was the kind of guy that he was listening whenever he could, whether he was in between classes or or on his way to a class or something like that. And uh, you know, it's really important to have people like that who are listening regularly and able to call in. There's two questions I always used to get. One of them that always used to just be like, oh. first question was always, so are you on the real radio? Yeah, right, right. <sighs> no, I'm on and the it's, And that's not something you can answer in one sentence. You right. have to kind of elaborate, and so it kind of gets, people stop listening after two sentences, stuff like that. Second question was always, well, how many people are listening? I don't know. I don't know was right. always the answer. I was always told that there was no way to get that number, but I was also frequently told that my numbers were going up. <laughs> so okay. Do that one, you yeah, will. Right. And that was just, that was one of the toughest things is just defending the indefensible. Right. Like, how does an internet radio station not know how many people are listening to it? It's the internet for crying out loud. The only counter that we had was that Justin TV video counter, right. which, where it would show, and there were, there were days, the days that I would go on with you, I would put the link to the Justin, to both the audio and the video feed on it, and I would be able to see who was clicking, and every once in a while, we'd get up to like five people. So that was four people, including me, you know, plus me. So, you know, we get, but we never really got, got above that level. And it was, and listen, it was early in the morning was the other it thing. It was. I mean, this was, this was 7 to 9 a.m. Most people at that time of day are up, but they're not out. They're up showering. They're getting ready to leave for the, for work mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And unless you're Will, you really didn't have it in the car with you. And that was, that was a problem. But, um, you were probably a little bit too far behind, uh, you know, with the times in, in terms of the technology. Oh, but, um. That concludes our number one of the uh, of the first, or sh- I should I say, final show of uh, the Eye of the Storm with John Cabral. 
We are now going to be heading into hour number two, uh, which starts off with one of the many clips that I put together, and then uh, we have a little kind of a conversation after that. So uh, here is hour number two of the final show with John Cabral. And then just before we get to that, I should mention we have uh, taken, as we talk about trying to be ahead of the curve technology-wise, I have finally gotten it together and built out the actual website, friendsoftheshow.com. You may remember you've been emailing Bobby Valentine at bobbyv at friendsoftheshow.com for some time now, but the actual website was not there for a while. There was one day where I was really motivated, really inspired. I'm building out this website on WordPress, and I couldn't get the podcast themselves to embed into that website, so I just threw my hands up and gave up on the whole operation until I finally realized a couple of weeks ago that I could just do a completely separate website through Blogger rather than WordPress, and that all worked much better. So it's up there now, and Brian, I know that you're just learning of the existence of this website today, so how about you bang that up there? I was amazed. .com, and tell people what's going on. First of all, I was embarrassed that I didn't know that it existed, um, but I am now aware that it exists, and I'm now going to be checking a lot. Now, I usually listen to the podcast, and I was really pleased with the, with the work that you were able to do over the summer with the Harbor Hawks gang. Because those guys, including Coach Gassman, because that was pretty incredible, and uh, so that was usually how I listened. But now this is a nice um, kind of one-stop shop here for um, the podcast. It has uh, links to the uh, the tweet, the, the Twitter uh, account that you have, which is at Show Podcast. Yeah, which I mean, get at us at Show Podcast. We really haven't gotten that horse out of the barn yet. There are only a couple tweets on that account, but we do want to interact with you. You can comment on all of these episodes now because they are their own blog posts, and you can go in there, you can comment. You can also subscribe to the site, which I will post any new episodes up to the site, so you'll get an email notification when a new episode hits. That's if you're not subscribed to iTunes, which, of course, you can and should do, and then you'll get those automatically whenever you sync your device. And, yeah, absolutely. We want to build the interactivity so that, you know, it, when we do a show, it's not just me and Brian trying to figure out when we can get together. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys can dictate when a show comes. You can you can go and you can leave a comment about something that interests you or something that you want to get talked about. And, you know, we can let you guys. This is supposed to be a show for you and about you. Get it going. Absolutely. All right. So now we will... Uh transfer back into the old school show the old show i the storm with john cabral the beginning of hour number two from the last show hey yo i'm john cabral i'm here every morning with the eye of the storm from 7 to 9 a.m on hurricane radio.net What in the blue hell is wrong with you? I was a bad guy. I was a good guy. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. Look at all of this crap in this room. How much can a man take? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Practicing fuzzy math again. My jaw hit the floor. I feel like a fool with this outfit on. Yeah, tell me a dog language. Who tang your ass on out of here? I will put Medicare in an ironclad lockbox. You play to win the game. Hello? He's the type of troll that Charlie Sheen is eating the bones of. Right, exactly. Will you stop? If Pete Shepard and I have to go out and MC story time at St. Peter and Paul School, <laughs> we'll do it. Life sucks, and then you die. Welcome back to the Eye of the Storm on Hurricane Radio. If you're just joining us, this is the final show. I'm joined in studio by three of my best friends in the whole entire world, Brian Geiler, Will Bussier, surprise appearance, and Dusty Cabral as well. 
My dream for this show was that we could get you in studio 120 times, Brian, so that we could go out <laughs> Seinfeld style with just a two-hour show of just those intros. The clip show? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that uh, that did not sadly come to fruition. But there were, I ended up making, what, I think, like, with the, including that epic one, like, probably 12. And then there were a couple of miscellaneous ones, like the NCAA one, which I sent you, the Feltus Facts, which was also a good one. We should probably talk about Wait that minute. while Dusty's what? here. What? You made, you made a compilation of those? What? Have I not Dusty heard, heard this? You should uh, fire up the Feltus facts here, but before, we should preface that. Uh, Brian Feltus, Marine, awesome guy, while he was overseas fighting for our freedom, he, for some reason, we were talking about that, and we had gotten on that, that subject and how awesome he was. Dusty called in. I was yeah. in studio. It was one of the last times I was ever in studio, and... We just started, instead of doing the Chuck Norris facts, we turned them into Brian Feltis facts, and it became, it, was awesome. it took on this life of its own, and it lasted for, like, a whole segment. And I just kind of, I, I made, like, a very short, it was probably only, like, 20 seconds, it wasn't that great, but I wanted to make something so I could send it to Holly, so at least yeah. she would, like, This was know, a smile huge for like hit in Iowa. Yeah, his family loved it. Loved I, it. I, I hadn't met them yet, his mom and sister came out, they said, oh, are you the one that did the Feltis facts? And right. I'm like, really? All right, so, so we put go. together the Feltis facts. To try to make it feel like he was here. Didn't work, but it was still a good time. Using one of the all-time great soundtracks, Stripes. Brian Feltis pretty much is the real-life Jack Bauer, if you think about it. Fear of spiders is called arachnophobia. Fear of tight spaces is called claustrophobia. Fear of Brian Feltis is called logic. Chuck Norris wears Brian Feltis' pajamas. Brian Feltis once urinated in a semi-truck's gas tank as a joke. That truck is now known as Optimus Prime. Brian Feltis tries this at home. The seventh day, God said, let there be light. Brian Feltis said, say please. There will be no best man at Brian Feltis' wedding. Brian Feltis is always the best man. <laughs> I love that guy. We all do. And he actually would have been, you know, that's the sacrifice that he made in going. I mean, he could have been. I mean, you remember the production work he did for the 2007 Hyannis Mets. Yes. Where we were basically had a couple of Campbell soup cans and a string. If he had been at the helm there, Hurricane Radio, I mean, can you imagine... The kind of stuff we could have pulled? Between him and Joe Correa? Yeah, it would have been Absolutely. pretty impressive. Um, yeah, Feltis is, is one of those guys. We had to drive to Fall River every day, I can tell you that much. Well, not that you did after a while. Right. Maybe we'll talk about that a little later. Um, yeah, the, the, the Feltis thing is, is, is he's just a really great guy. And uh, we totally came into our lives by chance. And now he's here to stay. I mean, we married him off to, your, to your cousin Holly, which mm-hmm. is really cool. So um, we're really happy that he that he's here to stay, and uh, that was, like we said in the in the in the clip there, it was one of the funnier times in, in the show because it just kind of spontaneously happened, and we just kind of rolled with it, and then uh, it got a little bit of legs uh, halfway across the country, which is cool. Did and a fun piece of Eye of the Storm trivia is that Brian Feltis actually did appear on the show. It would have been November twelfth, two thousand ten. I can actually pinpointed down to that date because I had tried to line up all the Marines that I knew, many of them in my family, but some of them not, for the 10th and the 11th for the Marine Corps birthday on Wednesday the 10th, and then the actual Veterans Day fell the following day, a Thursday that year. 
and I wasn't able to quite hook up with everybody that I wanted to get for the Marine Corps birthday. I did mention it, but I didn't get to make a whole show out of it like I'd wanted to. And on the 11th, the station was shut down for the holiday. They had thrown it onto autopilot. I had worked the previous holiday, Columbus Day, because I had to be in the area anyway. This is a day where I really wanted to do the whole show. I was not allowed to do my own show that day, even though I had a whole bunch of stuff lined up that I wanted to do. So that was frustrating. But I just figured I would flip it and do it the next day. And I talked Brian and Dusty into coming to the studio with me. I drove them both up the following day. Um, when we went up there, felt as it was very timid on the air. I couldn't get him to say anything because there was this little dynamic between he and Dusty where Dusty was out mm-hmm. of the Marines while not only was Brian still in, but, you know, as we know, he's doing some high level stuff that he either can't talk about or has to lie about. And, you know, was very sensitive to having, you know, things that he says get sure. out. And, and in you know, retrospect, an understandable we probably trepidation there. Yeah, in retrospect, we probably shouldn't have mentioned his name that much. Right. But, you know, if it makes us feel any better, no one was listening anyway, so. Exactly. <laughs> but I'll always, my, the enduring memory I have from his studio appearance there is we got talking about Veterans Day and some of the good-natured ribbing that goes on between branches of the military. The Marines are notorious for this. You know, the, for example, they say aren't ready for Marines yet. A-R-M-Y for the Army, and they have others that, uh, that I just can't think of at, at, the most, at the present time. But we got talking about the National Guard, who, of course, they're home and they lead normal lives most of the time, and they do, I believe, what, one weekend a month, two weeks a year, I believe is what they say. Yeah, but aren't they sending them do. overseas now? Like, don't they uh, oh, yeah, you can't, you can't get deployed, but yeah, that, that that's your regular service is, right, is right. abbreviated, and you're allowed to stay home and live. And so Feltus didn't want to say this on the air, but he had this thought, and so he whipped out a permanent marker, wrote it on a piece of paper, and held it up. He never actually said it, and it was never actually said on the show, but Brian Feltus takes out this penny, writes down the paper in reference to the National Guard, eat our food, bang our women while we fight. (laughs) You know, if he worked a little bit harder on that, he could probably make it a haiku. Yes, he probably could have. It would have been an amazing one. Five, seven, five, format, maybe. Right, yeah. We'll have to think about that as we get along. Yeah, that's it's too bad because Feltus would have been a tremendous on-air personality if, he, if that was uh, where he wanted to go with it. And all I can think of, you know, now he is living in the Washington area, Maryland to be exact. That guy really should run for president because I would, 20 years from now, I'd probably vote for him. And by probably, I mean I absolutely would. And I'd probably quit my job to work on his campaign. That's a good idea. So, Feltus, if you're Should listening, work on that. I would like to uh, set up a puppet regime with you. Go where for John it, man. And I run the government yeah. with, uh, with you at the top because you're good-looking and you speak well and uh, you're not obnoxious like me. So, that's great. John, our next clip involves one of the funnier moments in the history of HurricaneRadio.net. Uh, you will hear it now. And uh, this was a completely spontaneous moment as we, uh, as we recollect... What happened on some random morning, I believe it was in March, that this happened. So uh, here we go. How can we forget when that woman from T-Mobile called? Out of nowhere, the phone rings. And usually when the fo- usually we know when the phone's going to ring. Mm-hmm. Usually someone has texted us. Will, Darren, someone has been like, I'm going to come on the show in a minute. And we're like, oh, great, sounds good. This particular instance, the phone rang. We had no idea who it was. 
I looked at the caller ID because there used to be a phone here that had a caller ID on it, and it was like some 800 number. So I was like, don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> and John was like, like, why not? What's the worst that can happen? And he was absolutely right. It ended up being one of the funnier moments in HurricaneRadio.net history, if, in my opinion, because this poor woman from T-Mobile, someone who opened an account with them and gave them this number, the call-in number, 508-567-4843, as their home phone number. So this woman called looking for someone named Rita to try to explain to them that their their balance was you know so over $200 and that they needed to pay it or something. And we had a little bit of fun with that. I'm John Cabral. I'm here every morning with the Eye of the Storm from 7 to 9 a.m. here on HurricaneRadio.net. Oh, would you look at this. This is Riveting Radio for people at home. Hello. Hello. May I speak to Rita? This is Rita. Hi, Rita. This is Erica calling T-Mobile. What the hell do you want? Your account balance is 216.55. This is a <laughs> gift from the Internet Radio gods. Hold on. Everybody, stop oh. everything. How would somebody go about accumulating $216 for a T-Mobile balance? They charge you for that in first minute to get at that high rate. Oh, wouldn't want to spoil your fun, Mr. Cheapskate. No one says that anymore. Let's get a rally going. Yay! All right, I got a Justin TV bonus for you. John Cabral has snapped! This is a skunking. He stole my balloons! After you work in a liquor store for a while, <laughs> nothing surprises you. So I'm the deep voice of Brian Geiler. This is Rita. This is Rita. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was like that was one of the few times where I where I linked to the Justin TV archives on Facebook and said, you know, special thanks to the lady from T-Mobile. Fast forward to, like, the 2.15 mark to hear her, like, random appearance on the show. I don't think that any of you guys were involved in it, but I want to talk about Black Friday. When oh, Alex yeah, that I was a good one. four-hour show. That was mm, awesome. How there. long were you on that, that day? We were on for four hours, but here was what happened. It started before. We had planned it out a while in advance, and Tracy had lined up teams of field shoppers on Black Friday that were going to call at different times. So, in classic Faust and I fashion... Preparation, not so much for that show. What we did do, however, was we met up here the night before. We were thinking we were going to meet with Lynn Pavid, who was a friend of Tracy's, who was one of the big shoppers, but no, 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 no. The shoppers were on a strict schedule, and they had to be at their best at 4 in the morning, so they were in bed by, like, 9.30. That was the day I was supposed to be at one of their houses early. You may recall the Roy Williams fumble against the Saints in the Thanksgiving Day game. Yes. I wasted like an hour of my life trying to find a picture of him fumbling the ball to make my Facebook profile picture. So I literally missed this event at Lynn's house because of that. When I reflect on my life, these are the things that I'll question. (laughs) But that was awesome. So it was justified, at least to me at the time. But by the time I got up here, I showed up at Lynn's house. Everybody was asleep. Call Faust, couldn't get a hold of him. We meet at the Belmont, which if anybody's ever in Fall River and you're just looking for, like, the essence of this city, there's a place called the Belmont, a bar a couple blocks from here, that is not does not look like a bar. It's a house that looks like any other house in a residential neighborhood. It was a 1930s speakeasy, and it still looks like it on the inside, the furniture and stuff. The actual site where the building is used to be City Hall back in way, way long ago, 19th century days. And there is no there are no signs that say it's a bar. Everybody just knows. <laughs> and they go there and they show up. And it's just the people there are just pretty cool. 
And that got cut off. I believe we got a phone call right after that. Yeah, at that happened. point is when all the phone calls started to roll in. So you never got to complete that thought. So here we are now, two years later, John, you're finally able to complete that thought of what happened the night of the Black Friday special. Thanksgiving night at the Belmont. It's just a night that it just, it really is comical when you think back on it. Like, what the hell was I ever doing that put me in the Belmont on Thanksgiving night? I had, you know, spent the day as you would um, with family on Thanksgiving Day. I had actually done the, that was, I think, the last year of my run of Dartmouth versus Fairhaven Thanksgiving Day football games. And I had done that game during the day. I used to do so much driving, man. So much. So I had driven, yeah, in that morning to do the Dartmouth-Fairhaven game, home to the Cape to eat. And then after that glorious Roy Williams fumble, (laughs) back up to Fall River to try to meet up with Lynn Pavid. They had gone to bed and then over to the Belmont to meet up with Faust because Faust felt bad that I had, you know, made the trip back up to see nobody. He's like, yeah, I'll get a drink with you if you want. And so to the Belmont we went. And the Belmont, uh, I think I got talking a little bit about it there. Uh, Like I mentioned, completely unadvertised. Uh, No signs, no neons in the window or anything like that. None of the normal markings of a bar in a residential neighborhood looks like another house. And it is a bar and a fantastic one at that. And just one that's has just totally no pretenses about it at all. Just, just come as you are. And, you know, none of the bumping Katy Perry techno <laughs> crap going on when you walk in. It's Count just, me out. It's just a place where normal people in the city of Fall River go. And Wait a minute. That's an oxymoron. Right. Exactly. Where uh, typical people to the city of Fall <laughs> there River you go. go. And so it was always an interesting collection of people when you went in there and it it was not in any way, you know, it wasn't like a singles bar at all. You didn't have people trying to scoop and score in there or anything like that. It was just people were just going in there to have a couple of drinks, knock them back, talk to their friends, have a good time. And so we went in there that night, Faust ran into a guy who was working on a video project where he was interviewing World War II veterans because he wanted to interview as many of them as he could while they were still alive. And just in the way that Faust and I did business, we ended up booking the guy for his Pearl Harbor Day show, which we hadn't even (laughs) thought of yet. But I knew that it was a couple weeks out, and he did end up doing the whole show that day. And uh, Pete Daly, friend of the show, came and joined us. I don't know if we've mentioned him yet on this edition yet. But Pete's a great guy, Fall River native, Professor Pete Daly, I should say, as he did at the time. Not sure if he still does, but he did teach some classes at UMass Dartmouth, my alma mater. That was how I met Pete. And he was actually instrumental in getting me that show because back it was when the station was first being conceived and when the idea was first in the air. There's no shortage of people that like hearing the sound of their own voice, of course. And when you announce you're going to start a brand new radio station, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to talk into a microphone, particularly if they think they can make a living doing it. And I was one of the many who heeded Mike Karen's initial call that he was, you know, looking for people to host shows. And I had gone into the studio. I'd met with him, but he had been very noncommittal. He was... 
discussing like having me broker time and I was considering maybe doing a show with you on I the weekends. I remember you called me and you said, the cost. you know, what about paying right. for, the, for the time on the air? And we kind of discussed that. And the next thing I knew, you were going right. to do your own show. I was Bang. Like, holy crap. My own show five days a week. And I believe the difference maker there was that, uh, you know, Mike really trusts Pete. And I believe that when Mike threw my name at Pete, Pete probably really went to bat for me. And that was what ended up making nice. the Eye of the Storm show happen. Uh, but a, a guy who's a, a Fall River native who just loves the city, can't stand being outside of it, and, and is, is you know known everywhere he goes, local celebrity type, uh, came to the Belmont. So being there with, with him and Faust, I thought made me pretty legit Fall River-wise. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, there was always that, you know, because people from there are it's not terribly different from cape cod they're just they're just very yeah. uh provincial you felt like henry and, hill you're right. getting the long walk through the bowels of the building <laughs> right, exactly, your cable right, exactly. on the front they just put it there for you right right and so you know there was always this oh you're not from around here thing but when i had pete and faust there with me i was totally welcomed into whatever group i was there with and i just remember they put out this huge tray of turkey sandwiches that were cut into quarters <laughs> And this bag of Lay's potato chips. And there were only a few people down that end of the bar. So Faust and I, you know, in between beers, just did work on this stack of turkey sandwiches <laughs> and chips. After I'd already been working all day. And the two of us just, you know, BSed well into the night, talking to Pete, talking to other people. And, you know, we didn't get out of there until about 1 in the morning. They the Belmont stayed open until two, but we were just like, you know, this is, and we were having that conversation through the night. Well, we're going to be on the air in six hours. Oh, we're going to be on the air in five hours. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna be, and then finally we're like, we really, if we're going to sleep, we yeah. really should leave now. And, and I, and so that was a great, great time at the Did Belmont. Did you sleep at the studio that night or did you sleep at I Mike slept Harris at house? the studio that night. And I think that was actually the last time I slept at the studio. See, the big shift there was whether I slept at Mike's house or I slept in the studio, it was the same bed in both places. Oh. Among the many gimmicks we rolled out at the beginning was Mike was telling people that he was going to live in the studio yes. for the first 30 days it was open, which just totally didn't end up happening at all. But as part of that stunt, the bed was actually moved out of Mike's house. Oh. Into the studio. Because I do remember the bed. So, right. So I actually did stay at Mike's house for, for a while, the first couple of weeks, and then I didn't for a while, and then it just kind of dawned on me, well, the, you know, this bed's here. Nobody's here at night. Nobody's here in the morning. I, you know, I might as well just stay here a couple nights a week and save a ton on gas. And, uh, and it actually was working well there for a little while, at least until it got cold. So, yeah, it's just another piece of trivia. It was that same bed that I stayed in every time I was in Fall River. And I think that was actually the last night that I slept in that bed. And we've mentioned, it, well, not on in 2013, but we've heard Tracy Gendro's name come up in a yes. couple of these clips so far. Worth talking about. They are actually now engaged, Faust and Tracy. Really? That was one of the last things I learned before I dumped my Facebook account for Tremendous. the summer. And very happy about that. Tracy Gendro, not only a friend of the show, but uh, really was like the... The mother <laughs> of Hurricane Radio. I just remember her saying to me, I only met her a couple of times, but she booked all of Faust's guests, really made that show very, very good because he brought in a whole variety of different people from all different walks of life that came in and shed some, some real good insight on the second hours of his show. But also, I remember having a conversation with her where she found out I was sleeping in the studio and she just looked at me just aghast that that was what I was doing. And she said, geez, John, like... Because I think Faust had offered 
to have me stay with him a few times here and there, but I was just being stubborn, being the stubborn Portuguese that I am. But no, no, I'm fine in here. I'm fine in here. And she's just like, well, if you're not going to do that, she's like, I'll at least wash these sheets for you. (laughs) And it was just funny how she said it. And I was like, yeah, those probably are really gross. (laughs) Not a bad idea. Yeah, because you never knew when Mike Aaron himself was sleeping. Or anyone else for that matter. Who the hell knows what was was going on there when I wasn't there. So, (laughs) Probably um, better not to think about that. I don't want to think about that. Um, Well, that concludes the the first half of this sort of uh, return trip to... The Labor Day 2011 Eye of the Storm final show. Uh, and that concludes all the clips that we have for this one. And then, you know, next time, like I said, there's about 40 minutes left in the show, and it was basically all phone calls. We're not going to spoil who called in. There were three people that called in, and all three of them killed it, to be honest with you. Uh, really, really did a great job. And uh, so look forward to that. You know, we haven't decided whether or not we'll play those phone calls just in their entirety, uninterrupted, or... or if we'll break them up or anything like that, but uh, be sure to look forward to that. And now, John, before we let the listeners go, I feel like this has been an incredibly long podcast. So that it has. We should thank everyone for staying with us this long. And as sort of a treat, this is a long-lost audio clip from the files of Brian Geiler. You'll recall we used to have Bobby Valentine on your show regularly when he was the manager of the Boston Red Sox. And gave him a standing invitation to continue coming on anytime he wanted to. And I really wanted to make it clear to him that it was Bobby Valentine, the man we were after, not just because he was the Boston Red Sox manager. We haven't just gone out and gotten John Farrell on the podcast. No, no, it it was never about that. It was about Bobby Valentine the whole time. He hasn't taken us up on the offer ever since he cut his amazing CBS sports line commercial and became athletic director at sacred heart. Uh, But you know, Bobby, if you're listening anytime, anytime, I think he knows that, and you know, unfortunately, like you said, he hasn't taken you up on the offer. But as sort of a present to the loyal listeners here on uh, on the Friends of the Show podcast, long ago, right after he was fired, I put together a clip of some of his best moments on this program, and it, that you know that was almost a year. Uh, ago at this point. I mean, we're coming up on September of 2013. It was October of 2012 that he was fired. So it is a little dated. But hey, you know what? We're playing stuff from the past all day today already. We might as well fire this up now. So without further ado, here it is. The best of Bobby V from the Friends of the Show podcast. It's going out to my man Pete M in Brookline. That's right. I view myself as the kind of guy who's very tight-lipped and very responsible with what I say. I'm a player's manager, John. We're going to win about 106 games this year, maybe 108 because I speak Japanese. When's the last time you heard of a pitcher from Texas who wasn't friggin' awesome? Right out the back door, onto my deck, bang a left, the hot tub is right there. I basically pull a Bill Schlegel, and I'm like pushing this car up the road with one arm and still directing traffic with the other arm. So, of course, naturally, I took the two of them home and had a threesome jump. Not bad double-barreled action, you might say. All I can say is that at least I finished ahead of that cocksucker Von Gartenheyer. I looked out in the bullpen, and I saw Matt Albers, or Fat Albers, as I refer to him to affectionately, of course. Don't worry, interrupt me. I don't come down to where you work and knock the microphone out of your hand, okay? Listen, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, John, but I have a much better voice than Carl Bean does. I think you'll agree. 
or have you considered hiring the private eye that the Red Sox enlisted to investigate Carl Crawford? No, because he did a shitty job. Have you seen how Carl Crawford plays? I have. In fact, I have. I've been building confidence in my abilities all my life, and I have many abilities, let me tell you. They forced me into it, and I had to bust a move on the floor with a young lady of, uh, of Mexican descent who may or may not have been an American citizen. When there's problems in Major League clubhouses, they don't fire the manager. They get rid of all the high-priced players. Am I right? Am I right, big guy? Hate to say I told you so. Suck it, bitches. Moving. Touching. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Wow. Yeah. We were going after catharsis for this whole episode, but it wasn't until Bobby Valentine that it was truly delivered. <laughs> I mean, that man does have the cure. He gets it done. I'm going to tell you, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of good moments when Bobby V joined us on the podcast. So, coincidentally, Bobby V and myself never appeared on the podcast at the same time. I don't know what why what that was all about. It was but. unfortunate. I always wanted to get the two of you in the same place. You do have such great creative minds. I just felt that a conversation between the two of you would have been tremendous. It just unfortunately never worked out, but... Hey, the technology has grown in leaps and bounds here. The amazing thing is we talked about how great the equipment was at Hurricane Radio. Over the last couple of years, I've pretty much been able to replicate the whole shooting match there. I mean, it's, I all th- I, I have to do is plug in now. my phone, and we would have, in effect, the exact same operation we were doing over there. I've got a computer. You've got a computer. Uh, so we said at the end, not to spoil the second part of what we'll do here, but we said that we would do a podcast of some sort eventually and i'm glad that this is still going not as many episodes as i think i or anyone listening would have liked but i mean this is still something we're doing still having a lot of fun with and i think that uh eye of the storm was really a nice kind of precursor to what we're doing here and i I don't think this ever would have happened if we didn't do that first i agree with that and i think that you know like you said maybe there haven't been as many episodes or features or whatever as we may have hoped but you know it that's called being an adult and having a life and oh yeah you know, and the great part about it for me is I, I'll i wake up and all of a sudden out of nowhere there'll be another podcast loading in my iTunes. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? And then it's and it ends up being you know Coach Gaspin walking in on you guys in the McKeon Park skybox. So, you know, it's uh, it's something to look forward to. And it's almost it's almost better not knowing that it's coming and just all of a sudden having to pop up in your in your iTunes one day. So hopefully someone will go through that. Uh, at least a few people maybe will go through that, you know, sometime in the next com- few days and and they'll be able to kind of take this trip with us back to uh, the Hurricane Radio days, which were very, very funny and very, very enjoyable um, and a real huge commitment for you. So uh, way to go on that. And so this is really where it comes down to you, the listener, however many of you there may be, as we really turn the corner into year four of whatever the hell this is that we're doing. It's up to you folks to to really kind of keep it moving. If you can indicate to me times that are – good for you to call in and talk to me. I mean, I can definitely, I think the next step is building a home studio of sorts. I've got enough equipment to do that. And if you're, say, Ted in traffic and you know that you're going to be in that traffic at X hour a day on X day of the week, there's you know no reason we can't get that going and do it more frequently because for as many friends of the show as we have gotten involved so far, a lot of those Hurricane Radio characters have yet to make their debuts on this show. Absolutely. And uh, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned because... It's uh, it's quite a support system that you've got of listeners and people who are interested in helping out in any, any way that they can. So we, we definitely welcome them. All right. So get at it, friendsoftheshow.com. Just make it happen. Get 
interacting with us, and we will do it back with you and hopefully have many more episodes like this. Like Brian said, we will put together at some point a second edition with the amount that remains of the show. We did really go out with a bang, if I remember it correctly. And so hopefully we'll put a nice one of those together for you as well. In the meantime, definitely want to thank you for sticking this one out. Definitely the longest edition of this podcast that we've done so far, but I think among the best, if not the best. And I think uh, that if you listened, it was definitely well worth it. And I think it was well worth the more or less seven hours that we've now spent trying to make this thing happen. (laughs) Happy Labor Day, John. Happy Labor Day, Brian. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thank you, friends of the show, for listening to the Friends of the Show.